0: You're listening to Curated Podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. Into our science and technology news for the week. You may have noticed most people have experienced flies in summer. They can be pretty bad in mm-hmm. Australia. They tend to stick to your face. Terrible and swarms, get in the house yeah. and they buzz around. Anyway, it, it turns out, and we've kind of, I mean, I remember the, the old Louis the Fly ads and, you know, spreading disease with mm-hmm. the greatest of ease. Well, it turns out that that is actually the, the, the truth. So they've done, some scientists have had a, had a bit of a look at the pathogens that are carried around by flies, and they're actually saying that they really can contribute to the rapid transmission of pathogens in an outbreak situation. Mm. So where there's a, a particular bug going around, flies can actually add to that. They reckon that the, the legs appear to transfer most of the microbial organisms from one surface to another. Mm-hmm. So it's what the fly's been walking around on. Uh, and also the wings of flies can have a lot of uh, microbial material. I guess the reason's pretty obvious that um, flies are often exposed to unhygienic matter because they use feces and decaying organic matter to nurture mm. their young yep. little maggots they are definitely useful to bacteria. It's one of those symbiotic relationships where bacteria benefits from the fact that flies can spread them around mm. and may have even evolved to work with flies mm-hmm. to aid in in, in spread. We all we're all kind of aware that, that the possibility that flies were uh, not particularly hygienic, not good to, to have too many of them, especially around children, for example, or the elderly or the infirm. This scientific study has been Done and it sort of concludes that uh, yes, you, you are right to uh, to have second thoughts about eating, you know, the potato salad that's been sitting yeah. out on the, yeah, on the flies on been the walking around garden yeah. table for an hour or so. Not to mention the fact that it's probably got a bit hot and you know if there's any meat in there that might have be, be sort of beginning to go off. They've done some pretty detailed studies on flies, looking at various combinations. I think 116 house flies and blowflies from three different continents they have discovered or they have confirmed really that flies carried hundreds of different species of bacteria, many of which are harmful to humans. So we'll include a bit more about this on our show notes. Various scientists at Penn State University, the biotechnology and biochemistry area is the department of the of the university that's been involved in in doing that research. So as I said, we'll have we'll have more information and links in our show notes if you want to find out more mm. about uh, those pesky disease vectors. That sort of do have some benefits as well. They can actually also work as kind of living drones, if you like, to act as early warning systems for diseases. So if you've got like a, a sort of confined space and you want to, you can't get in there with instruments and stuff. or mm-hmm. if you can release some flies in there and then capture the flies, mm-hmm. you can actually look at look at their wings and look at their legs and see what's inside. If All that's right. if that's of use to you, yeah. so there are potentially some benefits of using f- this uh, disease-carrying or, or microbial life-carrying fly. Moving on, Uber, and this, is, this has kind of been in the news for a little while, but I thought I'd mention it, it has been revealed that Uber covered up a massive hack that affected 57 million, million users' data, and, mm. and they did this by paying the hackers who stole the information $132,000 dollars it has been reported. Yeah, right. The thing that's kind of controversial, well, one, I suppose, is paying, a, paying a, essentially blackmail. just means it's going to happen again and again exactly. and again. It's rewarding. It's, it's providing an incentive or a, a reason for this sort of thing to happen, but also they they did not notify affected users or regulators mm. uh, until just recently. So that was the thing. And the that key really- issue with that is that you might use the same password. I mean, I
1: recommend that you have a different passwords for each account, but there's plenty of people that use the same username and password combination uh, for Uber and they might use that on Facebook or Gmail, whatever other account they have. Mm-hmm. And by not disclosing that there's been this hack means that, that data is compromised and those hackers can then maybe take that information elsewhere and attempt to log into other accounts. So your Uber account might be safe, you know quotation marks might be safe because Uber's paid $132,000 ransom, but your other accounts could certainly be compromised so you know two things uh, they should be disclosing this information it mm. should be one of the first things they do and second of all don't use the same
0: username password combination use a password generator and two-factor authentication that yes. sort of stuff as well two individuals downloaded data from a third-party cloud server used by uber which contained names email addresses and mobile phone numbers of as I said 57 million users around the world so not confined to any one particular mm-hmm. location from all over the place they also Also downloaded names and license numbers of 600,000 of the company's US drivers. It doesn't mention credit card information, Mm -hmm. so I guess the real misuse of this data that was hacked and stolen and then supposedly deleted once a ransom was paid is that uh, you know the risk of identity theft. That's one of the things. And Uber apparently has set up a help page. Uh, and it is now individually notifying the drivers whose license numbers were downloaded as well as providing them with free credit monitoring and identity theft protection mm-hmm. service. So it's taken a while for them to do it, but they have finally been a bit proactive in dealing with that big hack. Uh, if you've got any concerns about this, you might want to change, as John has been suggesting, change your password, mm-hmm. and you might even need to change a, a credit card number if you're concerned about that as well. But at this stage, it doesn't sound to me, from what I've read, that credit card information was was hacked. There's also a website which is Have
1: I Been Pwned, which is a really good sort of resource where the owner of the website actually uploads the email database right so you can put your email address in and it'll actually tell you well yes you're part of a hack back in 2014 as LastPass or you know linkedin or whichever account that it was Mm. and it's just one way of saying well hang on what let me go and check those username password combinations and i can change those now so if you want to head to that website it's have i been pwned that's uh, sort of owned but with a P, so yep. com, and then you can enter your email address and you can even get alerts when there's hacks like this that become
0: um, public knowledge. Sounds like a really good idea. We'll, we'll put that link on our show notes because that's a good one. Okay, moving on. Scientists are calling for glitter. To be banned with a view to protecting the environment, and this is, you know, if you've got kids, you'd be very familiar with it, or if you go to a if you go to a carnival or a fair, There's even know, those letters out, that they have, face. They have face painters there, yeah. and they use glitter, and there's even uh, well, there's
1: revenge services that, that send
0: out letters with glitter, that's is right, the, le- that's the glitter bombs, I think. that's right. Yeah. There's a guy who set up a website, and he didn't expect it to be anything. A guy called Matthew Carpenter, he set up a website offering to ship your enemies envelopes full of glitter in the mail. Just because it was annoying to get it, and it mm. it'd go everywhere and yeah. cover their house in in glitter, he had two thousand orders worth over twenty thousand dollars in just a few hours. His website went viral, and I think he might have sold it. He never expected that to be the case. He kind of set it, apparently set it up when he was on holiday, just as a kind of just mm. on a whim. But yeah, look, glitter contains microplastics. Mm-hmm. They wind up getting into the sea, mm-hmm. and then they wind up getting into fish, and then we eat the fish, and and we're we're essentially poisoning ourselves. Yes, it's very hard to control where because it's so tiny and. Fr- it's like dust mm-hmm. very hard to control where it winds up and a lot of it does wind up getting into uh, stormwater drains and out into the sea and then into fish mm-hmm. In the UK, recently, a third of fish caught contain plastic particles, mm. and you know you could imagine it being worse in in other parts of the world, which are even you know where there's a lot of plastic water bottles. For example, we know about that that sort of artificial island that's uh, in the central yes. North Central Pacific, 150 kilometres across, that is basically you know consists of uh, huge amounts of plastic yep. that have been put there by ocean currents, and that is breaking down. It does break down into microscopic uh, size particles eventually, and then that gets into the food chains. So uh, just as People are moving now towards not using plastic bags and and recycling bags. You know, having a shopping bag that you keep in your car and you Mm -hmm. keep using that. That sort of stuff is a really positive move, and uh, I would recommend to people get on board with this and potentially discourage your kids from using uh, glitter. I know it's a lot of fun for kids. Mm. Uh, My own are particularly uh, interested in this. And when I when I said that uh, they're thinking of banning it around the world, I was met with uh, you know with with looks of you know outrage. How dare you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. How dare they? Why would they do such a thing? I'm lucky. I've got lots in the cupboard you know it's not good for the environment and i think even in in daycare centers in the uk they're banning it from you know being used in craft supplies Mm. that sort of thing that kids often do so finally steps being taken there to reduce micro particles maybe confetti is a better option because it's paper so therefore it can break down quicker and easier yeah exactly yeah
1: there are inks in that so that's also bad yeah
0: Yeah. and i don't think they like i don't think at weddings and stuff they don't want you throwing because i think it's too much of a mess rice is better or something yeah, yeah yeah Okay, now moving on with the news. There's a, st- a journal called Memory and it's all about how, how your memory works and how your mind works. One of the things that they've been reporting recently is that speaking aloud works by creating a production effect which cements information in your memory. So in other words, if you have something that you want to read, it might be some, uh, some notes for a, uh, a presentation you've got to give. A radio show. A even, radio program yeah. even. Printing something out, or writing something and then reading it aloud you hearing your own voice Mm -hmm. is a good way of actually getting that information into your memory and having it stick in your memory they've done studies comparing it with if you hear someone else's voice reading the same material not as effective Mm -hmm. if you hear a computer generated voice reading the, the same material not as effective even a recording of your own voice reading the material is not as effective as you actually reading it out loud in real time to yourself yeah okay That uh, apparently uh, is better than just reading silently or hearing someone else read. There you go, a little tip to help you if you need to remember a speech. Listen to your own voice and read it on several occasions and you should get that. Now, marine biologists have been working up in the northwest coast of Australia and they've been looking at the humpback dolphin population up there and they actually observed a male humpback going and collecting some sea sponges on the seafloor and actually giving these to a female potential mate. Mm. And they saw this a bit like bowerbirds who mm. make those really colourful nests and they collect bits and pieces like clothes pegs and bright blue bits of cloth and whatever they can get their little beaks on mm-hmm. to create this sort of elaborate mating ritual to, to in, in impress and entice a, a female mate. The, this, the suggestion is that this is uh, this behaviour in dolphins uh, and it's a very rare uh, uh, behaviour in any animal mm-hmm. but it's the first time it's been noticed in, in dolphins and uh, as I said uh, the first time this was seen the uh, the scientists watched a male dolphin in the presence of a female dolphin and her calf dive down to the seafloor, remove a large marine sponge, which are apparently quite difficult to get off, they're well attached and they release a toxin to stop themselves being oh, right. ripped off, so the dolphin has to kind of put up with a bit of that mm. stuff and then he, he got back to the surface, balanced it on his beak and pushed it towards the female. So this was kind of cool behaviour that hadn't been noticed in uh, dolphins before. The purposes of the sponge gathering, as I said, to impress or attract a mate, to reinforce uh, the place in the social hierarchy. So dolphins have a very hierarchical uh, social organisation, mm-hmm. and so it's uh, that, that sort of behaviour is about reinforcing their place in that social hierarchy. And even possibly, uh, they don't rule out to uh, that the behaviour could almost threaten the female or even be part of a sort of coercion of the female into mating. So they're not exactly sure whether this is kind of a completely friendly behaviour. Nevertheless, it's the first time. That this has actually been seen in dolphins and is pretty cool that a marine animal like a dolphin would actually go off and, and sort of do special gift mm. giving to females in the group. Uh, this is an Australian study that's been done of these uh, Northwest Australian humpback dolphins. They call it like a form of peacocking you know, where animals like have very, very bright, colourful uh, mm. feathers or whatever yep. to allure. It's all about attraction. It's all about sort yeah, they of do a dance out. and stuff. Yeah. yeah, John, what have you got for us?
1: Well, we've been following the Volkswagen emissions scandal since 2015. It's been a little while since an update, that mm. uh, but basically here in Australia there's a class action that's that's happening. So Volkswagen are basically having to do the you know, please explore. Why have you put in this software that can cheat the systems? they sort of were given an order by judge Lindsay Foster to explain under oath why the software was actually used and installed in the first place but uh, the reason that they provided was sort of not uh, essentially not accepted by the judge they said that uh, you know they weren't sort of part of the dec- decision to do that they weren't actually there and therefore you know they had no control over it right but the judges basically come out and said well if there is some legitimate engineering reason then let's hear it so he's given them a couple more weeks to come back and provide a suitable and adequate response now that's not saying that within two weeks we could, there'll be a resolution it's just this case is dragging along i've been following it because we have a volkswagen mm-hmm. that's and, you know we've registered to be part of this class action so we do get so kind of confidential updates every other month and, uh, and sort of not much has sort of been happening it's kind of an, an update for an update's sake right and they sort of say well you know it seems like volkswagen are just sort of dragging their heels and and, and, and not much is really sort of progressing here. So mm. it's good to see that the judge is coming out and sort of saying, no, we need an answer. We, you know, we need to know why. And hopefully this sort of keeps it, you know, actually moves it along at maybe a slightly faster pace. Yep. Now, uh, it, it looks like uh, Perth is set for a bit of an experiment with an, an international trial of Uber-style driverless cars. So there's right. a French company called Navia and in conjunction with the Royal Automobile Club of uh, W. uh, they will start testing these driverless vehicles now it looks to be end of the, the vehicles arrive in 2018 around about April and they'll be tested on private roads first and then they'll be taken onto the city streets later in the year. So it will have a driver or uh, well, someone to sit in the driver's seat, but they won't actually be controlling the vehicle. The, the car will be completely autonomous and driving through the streets. And you'll be essentially able to book it like you can an Uber. So you just open up your app and then you can call up you know, this and it will just turn up to your, uh, your door, your workplace, wherever you are, and then you can go on your journey. So it does look like it'll be sort of limited to a maximum of 90 kilometers an hour. It is sort of a test case scenario. This is something that will probably go on. I imagine for about twelve months, it needs to go through all different driving conditions and weather, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the first step. So there will be a test in Perth, in Paris, and as yet an unnamed city in the US. Because
0: that is a stated objective of Uber: it's to do away with the human driver, isn't it? they, yeah. want, they want to have. They, well, they see want to partner with Tesla. Where I think their business is and, yeah. goes, in, the, in t- as far as their aspiration is is concerned, is to eliminate the driver and basically have completely driverless vehicles. And
1: the reason to do this is to um, try to eliminate. 90% of road crashes which are actually human yep. caused. So yep. if the reason for a crash is by human, we'll take the human driver out of it and that's where we, you know come up with um, automated vehicles. Yep. You know think about being able to go out to the pub and having a couple of beers and not be worried about drink driving because you've an autonomous autonomous car or think about those people that maybe haven't had a license before that be because they may be disabled in some way or they might be blind for example. So they're giving you know transport options. Isn't there
0: though the requirement that that you, the human is there to override if there's a situation, you know, where we've, we've discussed it where, for example, the, the car might have to choose between, you know, hitting three kids mm. or one old person, you know, th- those and, kind of... Um, and, and I see that as a sort of a stepping stone.
1: Yes, and that might be a five to 10-year scenario. Yeah. But I think as the technology improves and accelerates and, you know, look at AI, how far it's come the last few years, yep. it will get to a point where people go, well, I haven't touched the steering wheel in years. It's really a non-necessary function. Mm. And the amount of accidents will significantly decrease. And I can probably even see that in the situation where a driver would have to take over, there would
0: probably be worse outcomes that that come out of it. And mm. So, so it would be a pretty extreme situation to beat the AI that's running the driverless it, system. Exactly. So mm. I,
1: I see that um you know it it will happen for a period of time, with five, ten, maybe twenty years. But mm. the, it, the end game is to have completely autonomous vehicles.
0: That, that and I think sitting has. in a car and not having a, you know just your hands off the wheel and completely just giving it up. It, for me, anyway that would be it's really counterintuitive it's kind of runs against everything that you, because you, you, you know that cars are dangerous, you know, we've been yeah. brought up to, to realize that, you know.
1: I see it, well, I see it as kind of the end of car ownership as well, because mm. why would you bother owning a vehicle mm. when there'll be sort of all these autonomous vehicles driving around the streets or mm. waiting for you to, you know, call it up? Mm. So you just press a button and then within a minute or two, mm. it's at your door, you jump in, go where you need. Mm. Don't have to worry about registration, parking fees, petrol, all of that sort of stuff. You're mm. just paying for that short term trip. So, mm. so I see that probably less cars on the road, safer on the road, and it's less cost for you because. You know, having to you know pay all the expenses for um,
0: owning a vehicle. Use it when you when you need it, and rather than having it sit on the side of the road or in a garage for, you know, ninety five percent of the the day. Exactly. And so, moving on, uh, we do talk about uh, battery technology
1: when we can, because sort of we we are kind of hitting the limits with the lithium-ion batteries. I mean, lithium is uh, abundant. There's, there's plenty of it around the world. And, you know, we've got a huge uh, mining operation in Australia, which is um, supplying a lot of the world's lithium. But the efficiency is kind of, we've hit the some of the limits there. It still takes kind of an hour to charge up a battery that might last you a full day. Uh, and there's sort of only so much that you can do to improve on that. And there's limits to the number of
0: cycles a battery can do in the life of the battery.
1: And so scientists are looking at alternatives Metals or other products that can actually be used as batteries. And magnesium has popped up as a potential option. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's being promoted as a safer option mainly because it doesn't require sort of a liquid. Electrolyte. So when you have lithium-ion batteries, you need a, a, a liquid electrolyte between the platters so that it actually can transfer the, the charge. Whereas with um, magnesium, it's been discovered that you can actually have it as a, a solid state um, metal and that can have a quick charge and a slow release of charge right. for, for use as batteries. Hmm. Obviously, it's still on the drawing board in the lab. It's scientists from MIT and Argonne who are basically providing all these resources and the experimentations to get this moving to the next step but it look it's a good sign that you know battery technology needs to improve I mean we've seen and we've got a story uh, later which is about the batteries over in South Australia and so that's using the lithium-ion technology batteries in your uh, phones everything that's portable these days have mm. lithium-ion. Mm. So that is uh, good to see. They're not the only ones that are looking at this because that's right. you've got Samsung, for example, that are looking at a faster charging speed. They're looking at like a graphene ball. So graphene's been kind of the yes. the, the big one that's been talked about for years. Yep. And it enables a huge capacity increase with a faster charging. So imagine being able to just plug in your device and in a couple of minutes, it's actually you know fully charged. That's kind of the hope of graphene. Yep. It's the Seoul National University School of Chemical and biological engineering, yep. along with Samsung's Advanced Institute of Technology, uh, sort of working in conjunction to actually develop this graphene ball to to improve. So it's good that there's competition that that, that science is out there trying to discover a better mm. b- battery technology, yep. because ideally something that is uh, available in a somewhat endless supply or can be recycled, is quick charging and has longer battery life mm. I- is going to help. It's the holy, everything grail. We do, yeah. holy grail. What we do for yep. sure.
0: Mm just as a quick note we only sort of confirmed this this morning because they've been a bit cagey about it but Amazon has finally launched in Australia so oh, look, yeah, of out, course, yes. look out local retailers yeah
1: we, we sort of thought that maybe on Black Friday they would be doing a launch because a couple of days earlier they'd done a soft launch mm. everyone was uh, you know the launch that never was it was pretty disappointing but as of now as of us uh, on the air we know that it is live it's not the full full sort of products mm-hmm. uh, I think there's around about 20 categories Agrees, yep. I've had a look through and and I haven't sort of seen any deals as such um, I mean Amazon has been here here for many many years, being mm. able to buy books and you know Kindle books and physical books and um, apps, but now they've extended to products. Uh, so I see this as kind of a the next step of the. It's an official launch, but it's the you know let's see how we go with opening it right up, and uh,
0: probably in a couple of weeks I'll even add even you know more products. It will be interesting to see how it impacts the uh, the conventional sort of um, you know bricks and mortar retailers. Uh, some people would argue that there will always be a, a market for that because people like to go in there and physically handle things themselves. You know, you think. JB Hi-Fi, for Mm -hmm. example. There's also the possibility that Amazon, because it's just that big a company and it's got that much sort of grunt behind it and they don't have the physical bricks and mortar mm-hmm. overhead, you know, it may be that they disrupt a lot of those established businesses in Australia.
1: What I can see is hurting retail and we have we have talked about this previously mm-hmm. in the show is that people might go into a store, look at a product and go, oh, I really want that. They've got their mobile device so they'll search on it for Amazon and they can in some cases get same day
0: delivery or next day delivery. And I think Amazon's got a deal at the moment where they're going to give you free delivery if you spend over $60 mm-hmm. on like like that yeah. so, there are some incentives that they're offering which are going to be pretty hard for local retailers to compete with. Thanks for listening and head to
1: beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows.